Did any of you guys read the story this week about the new church in the in the uh, kind of depressed neighborhood where uh, the couple died? Did you, did you see that? You didn't see that? No, did uh, nobody? See, okay, I, I'm going to get you guys the link to where that is. But okay, so here's what happened. Uh, this uh, this couple, th- th- this pastor starts a church in like kind of a depressed neighborhood. Uh, they're under kind of a little bit of attack from the neighborhood. They're, the neighborhood isn't very wealthy. But weird things begin happening in this little church, like moves of the Holy Spirit. Things happening where like, if you know, if you went on, bloggers would be going crazy about, you know, this isn't of God, all this kind of stuff. But one of the weird things about this church is while the pastor would preach or while he was just hanging with the people, They'd take their, like, right, like we'd take our offering and a little basket comes by. Imagine if I'm talking and all of a sudden someone just comes up and like puts some money right here while I'm talking. This is how they did it. They would, they would just put the money right, right there in front of the guy, which I'm all for, really. Uh, I think <laughs> that would be fantastic, especially if it was a lot of money and especially if it was cash because then we wouldn't have to account for it. But that's what was happening. <laughs> it was cash. Everybody would put their cash in front of this guy. So the, the church was growing and wacky things were happening and uh, it's just jamming along. And there was a brand new couple uh, just became Christians and they were at the dinner table. And the one guy decided, hey, I want to sell this a- our assets and put them. I, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to be fully committed. And the wife agreed. This is not a, this is a true story. You guys are looking at me like there's going to be a punchline. There is no punchline. So the guy, the guy shows, he sells, he sells all this stuff, gets, a, gets the money in cash and brings it during this church service to the pastor. And he puts it down. Within two minutes, he died. He gave the money and within two minutes, he was dead. No, it gets worse, okay? They just continue on with the church service, okay? Well, you guys should be that committed, all right? So here's the thing. Okay, no, this is a true story. I'm not kidding. So, so he dies. They go on with the church service, move, move him off to the side. And uh, his wife shows up and nobody tells the wife that the husband was dead, okay? So they, they, they show up. Husband's gone. Wife shows up. She's worshiping everything. She goes up. Within two minutes, she dies. Just within three hours of each other, both were dead. And you can read about it. It's in Acts chapter 5. I'm gonna, I want you to read what happened. It's a new church, a brand new church in, a, uh, in an environment that's kind of hostile. And uh, what happened was this guy, Ananias... He's new to the church because everyone's new to the church in Acts. All right. New, new believer. He goes and he sells a piece of property. Fine. Killer. And they used to go and they'd lay it at the apostles feet. Now, I don't know if the apostles were actually preaching at the time. I just think that would be incredibly awesome. This money just, you know, piling up and it's like, hey, and no. Okay. So, um, so he, he goes, he sells his property, and he brings it to the church pretending that this was all the money, but it really wasn't. And Peter says to the guy, dude, you didn't, if you had given us a dollar, it would have been fine. But you, you're making it sound like this was the whole money. You, you just lied to God, and he dies. 
And they take him away. And three hours later, his wife shows up. Listen to this. About three, this is in verse 7 in chapter 5. About three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me. <laughs> Set her up, man. That's cold, Peter. Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. You're dead. Okay. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. You know what? I didn't start my little clock. It's like I just started the sermon now. That's so cool. It's going to be a long one today. No. All right. All right. Now, listen, when Ananias dies in verse five and great fear seized all who heard what happened. Yeah. I'll bet. Can you imagine? Come to Living Spring. You might die. Okay. Then in 11, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Again, when she dies, even greater fear. Because that's what you do. You'd be all freaked out. All of a sudden you find out that Aaron dies in the middle of service and we don't even care. Right? Now listen, here's here's the outcome of this. Listen to the outcome. It's found in verse 13. No one else dared join them. (laughs) So... Their church growth project did not work very well, even though they were highly regarded by all the people. Now, listen, nevertheless, despite all that stuff, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. What happened was God disciplined his church. Sin wasn't going to be found there. And yet people kept coming to Christ. Listen, a holy church is a healthy church. A holy church is a healthy church. Now, God doesn't use killing us all off during the church service anymore. At least not that I know of. Thank you, Lord. Because most of you guys... Now, sometimes I think it happens. Like, hey, shake the person next to you. Oh, they were just sleeping. Okay. I think, oh, man, he died. You know, he's not moving. Okay, so but a holy church is a healthy church. So what does God do now? If a holy church is a healthy church and we need to have people held accountable for their sin, what happens? Well, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. I want to set this up before we get started. All through the scripture, God, it talks about God disciplining his kids. Okay, this is going to you guys, this is going to be a great sermon. You're going to feel so uncomfortable. It'd be awesome. Okay, I'm going to read some verses out of Proverbs. These are all out of Proverbs and they're on your bulletin. So you can go look at them later. My son, do not. This is Proverbs 311. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke. 1013. Wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks judgment. 1324, he who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. 1918, discipline your son, for in there is hope, but do not be a willing party to his death. 2215, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. 2313, do not withhold discipline from a child. You say, is this on raising kids God's way or whatever, or what is this? What are you teaching about? Listen, God disciplines his son. When we go to sons and and daughters, yeah, you thought I wasn't going to mention you guys, did you, Uh, gals? Okay, in Hebrews 12, it says this, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons for what son is not disciplined by his father. Okay, 
If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're illegitimate children. God is interested in you being disciplined. Like, man, I thought he was a God of love. That's what we talked about last week. Can we go back there? God is interested in you being disciplined. And he's interested in a pure and spotless bride. Sometimes a church is called Jesus's bride. He's interested in no sin in the camp. It says, for our fathers disciplined us for a little while while they thought best. But God disciplines us for our own good that we might share in his holiness. A holy church is a healthy church. So let's go to Matthew chapter 18. Let's see how this all plays out for us. Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if you will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. No. All right. What do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away? Will he not? No. What did I do? Okay. Sorry. Did I mess that up? Oh. Yes, okay, I tell you the truth. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Listen, you say, well, what do these verses about two or three being gathered together have anything to do with church discipline? Everything. This is not a lottery ticket verse that when two of us are together and we pray for gold at the end of the rainbow, I be, it's there. You know, it's not Lucky Charms Day where we get to get together and pray for whatever we want. That's not the context. This whole context, if we go back two weeks and we go forward two weeks, is all a part of this idea of forgiveness about the lost being found, about a gathering of a church operating in holiness. Okay? So I'm going to jump right into it. And we're going to talk about how do we do this? How do we hold each other accountable? How do I go to you and say, hey, you've got this sin in your life? What's it all about? That's, that sounds kind of creepy, okay? But we're going to see today that this is a beautiful process. That God has thought this through, that everyone stays protected, and that sin can actually be removed from a church. Okay, let's see how it works. The first And most important thing that we understand is the importance of the person. We talked about this last week. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he's happier about that one sheep than about the 99 who did not wander off. You are valuable. God is a shepherd. And there's nothing more valuable to a shepherd than sheep. And you are his sheep. It shows it all through scripture. The Lord is my what? Shepherd I shall not want. Right? The 23rd Psalm. Okay? It says we are the sheep of his pasture. Okay? We are his sheep and he values us. Now listen, if we don't get this number one point, church discipline is going to look horrendous. And we've probably all seen situations where that were the case. People are important. And when someone is lost, when someone's in their sin, they have value and we've got to get them out of there. Now, what it says here, I want us to see uh, uh, in the scriptures, 
It says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. Now, what does that mean? It's not just like you won the argument, you won the battle. The, the, it's a, it's a, in the Greek, it's a word that's um, used in the marketplace. And it's an idea of an asset. You, you've just received a treasure, a, a profit for your labor. That's what it means. So here's the idea. When a brother or a sister is caught in a sin, follow me here, they're a liability to the church. Because why? Let me show you why. You guys are hanging there. Because they have so much value, so much potential, and this sin is stopping the flow of the Holy Spirit through them. They can't use their gifts like they should. They, they're, not, they're not realizing the relationship with God that they could have, the, 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 the um, asset that they are to the kingdom of God. This, hints, this sin is holding it back, and it's holding the kingdom back. So when you win your brother, you take them from the liability column to the asset column. Now they're fully restored and they can live the life that God had planned for them. And now they become an asset to the community instead of a liability. Did you know there are things that this church cannot do without you? You say, but I just come to church here every Sunday. It it might be weeks down the road, all of a sudden, we need something, and you've got it. You've got that special, unique shape, those, those gifts. And if you're mired in sin, you cannot be used. Sin, like we talked about in the last week, separates us from God. Now, are we still saved? Yes, but we're just useless. We're a liability. We're dead weight because of our sin. And so when we win a brother, we win them over, we take them out of this liability and we say, man, they're so valuable. They're so useful now because they're they're, they're rescued. Do you see that? We have to understand how valuable each other is. Now, look what Paul says. Paul says in Romans, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift and make you strong. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. We have a responsibility to one another to live holy lives. Because the more, the life I live, that's, that's, it's a fancy word called sanctification. Okay, sanctified, holy, pure. The more impact I have for the kingdom. And guess what? The more impact I have in the kingdom, the be- more impact I have on your lives. So, vice versa. The more sold out you are for Jesus, where you're moving forward in holiness, the healthier you are in Christ to be able to do the things he's asking you to do. Does that make sense? So you've got to start with the fact that we are valuable. Because if you don't, you're going to miss the next three points. You are valuable. And for some of you who don't think you're valuable, it's a lie from Satan. You are. Now you may be trapped and you might be, uh, you know, kind of stuck, but that's the whole point. You're valuable. Second thing is the importance of the person. The second thing is the intimacy of the place. If church discipline is going to take place, it has to be confidential, intimate between as few people as is possible. One and one. The most healthy restoration is one person not talking about it to a bunch of people, not going, you know, I'm thinking about talking to Joe about this. What do you think? Oh, well, I think you just you gather your information by yourself. You go to that person and you say, hey, I think there's a problem. And we're going to talk about how we do this practically in, in a couple steps. But it's intimate. 
very intimate. It takes place within the church. It, we don't need to have all sorts of other parties involved. This is why the scriptures say, don't take each other to court. The church can be the highest court. We have the Holy Spirit here. We've got the Word of God. We can usually hammer out most things with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, believe it or not. Like, even like, what if I bought some property from someone? I'll bet you we could hammer it out here in this intimate place. Let me show you what I'm talking about because I'm not just making this stuff up. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1, it says this. If any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? In other words, can't we just do it here in the intimacy of this place? We're all valuable. We don't want to... It's not about winning or losing or anything. It's about gaining the most value out of the people in the kingdom of God. And it goes on. And it says this. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Can't we figure it out here without getting all bent out of shape, making a big deal out of it? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? The church is to be so healthy that we can work these issues out amongst ourselves. Now, are there some things that we have to go to court about? I don't know. We're going to have to figure that out as we go. But if we're really striving to be holy people, uh, being led by the Holy Spirit, being led by the Word of God, I'll bet you we could figure most of the stuff out. This is what the Word of God's saying. Now listen, so what does this intimacy look like? Let me show you in Galatians 6, 1. Brothers, if someone's caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Okay? He has value. And in the intimacy of this place, we can bring that person back. Restore him gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. And then it becomes this big firework display in the church. That's not the point. Gently, you who are spiritual, do you know better? Great. Go to that person and just say, hey, I see this in your life, man, and it's holding you back. That's what it's talking about, the intimacy of this place. We can figure it out. Now, what is this idea of you who are spiritual should restore him gently? Well, that's my third point. The interpretation of the purpose. Why am I doing this? Why are we to hold each other accountable? Why am I supposed to do this? For restoration. Not discipline, judgment, holier than thou, you know. We, we're not sitting across the street from each other in, a, in an unmarked van with binoculars trying to figure out, oh, I knew it. I knew it. I saw a six-pack in his garage when he opened up his garage. Oh, I knew it. You know, what are they watching in there? Oh, it's Desperate Housewives. That's a sin, right? That's not it, right? They're valuable. And in the intimacy of this place, we restore them. Kai was talking about this restore project that they have going with this car. And he said it took two years and it's going to take two more years. That stuff churns my stomach. Like, I, I, like if someone told me I had a project that was going to take four years... I just don't have a project. I either hire somebody out to do it or it ain't that important because I'm not going to sit there with sandpaper and rub on a car for four years just to make it nice and shiny, right? But Kai, listen, don't mess me here. What Kai sees when he looks at that car is the rest, bringing it back to its original purpose. Why? Because he sees the what? 
value. Yes, exactly. I don't. I see a bucket of bolts and a bunch of my time wasted. But Kai sees that value in it. And that's the same way. The purpose is restoration. We'll go back to that Galatians one again. Brothers, if someone's caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. How long does that process take? I don't know. It depends on what the damage is. You might have some rusted out believer who's just like, oh, and it's like, well, here we go. See, this is what I love about the word of God. It doesn't say go and confront your brother gently and restore him. But if it takes longer than a week, bump that. Right. If the process of restoration is continuing, you're winning your brother over. He was a liability. And now look what's happening. Look what's happening. If anyone gets Kai's emails, we watch the process every few weeks. He sends out. Here's where we are now. Here's where some weeks I look and I'm like, dude, I'm looking at the two pictures and you didn't make any difference. And he's oh, yeah, it's all hidden behind this thing. Right. Same thing. Even more with people. They're so valuable. So once that re- restoration process starts, there it goes. You understand that? Now, here's a super spiritual Greek translation. Okay? Restore. Repairing something to bring it back to its original condition. As we look in the Greek, that's what it really means. Which is what restore means anyway. So I just wanted to show you that a lot of times when people say that's what it means in the Greek, there's no fantasy of a great thing that is coming out. Sometimes it just means what it means. That's all I wanted to show you right there. Was that uh, it, it sounds super spiritual, but really that's it. Restoring something back to its original. You know what it'd be like? It's shalom. We've talked about this before in, 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 in sermons. Shalom, peace. Not the lack of war, but the way things ought to be. The fabric of how God created us to interact with each other, with creation, and with Him. That's shalom. The way things ought to be. And sin breaks apart that fabric. And so what do we want to do? We want to bring it back again in their lives. That's the, that's the purpose. That's why we're doing it. Because they're valuable And within this family, within this community, we can begin that restoration process so that the least amount of people are hurt and and that that person can get back to where they were were once. Does that make sense? I want to read a quote. It's a very long quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I want you to check this out because it really kind of gives the idea of where this person is when when they're in sin. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, Sin demands... To have a man by himself. Sin demands that to have a man by himself or a woman. So don't, don't be looking. Okay. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. And the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. In the darkness of the unexpressed, it poisons the whole being of a person. This can happen even in the midst of a pious community. In confession, the light of the gospel breaks into the darkness and seclusion of the heart. And the sin is brought into the light. The unexpressed is openly spoken and acknowledged. All that is secret and hidden is made manifest. It is a hard struggle until the sin is openly admitted. But God breaks the gates of brass and bars of iron. This is the point of church discipline to get that guy or gal from being ensnared 
and being left behind and being isolated to get them back restored into community and being used by God. That's the whole point. Now, Jesus gives us instruction on how to do that. And this is the instruction of the process. And here's where we get down to kind of just how it really plays out. And let me tell you something right off the bat. This is hard. Okay? The instruction Jesus is giving us is hard. And we rarely see it practiced correctly. Because it's hard. And we don't like hard things. We like to take sidetracks. We take shortcuts. Thank you. Thank you very much. We like to take shortcuts. Okay, so what happens in this process is you go to somebody. Now, what typically happens right now is someone says, well, wait a minute. Jesus said to take the log out of my own eye first before I go looking at other people. Right. I mean, I can't just go talk to somebody. I got my own problems. Yes, you do. And yes, you're supposed to take care of your own problems. And you go, oh, so if I don't take care of my own problems, I don't have to go talk to the guy. Correct. And what you've said is, he's not worth it. You said, you know what, I know he's valuable, but it's too hard, and I got my own things, and hey, what are you going to do? So you've just, you've just placed on him a value that God does not have. God says, man, work that sin out in your life. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Ooh, as I almost... You hypocrite. This is where it comes from. Everybody has, yeah, so I don't want to be a hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly why to remove the speck from your brother's eye. See, the, 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 the point wasn't you don't go talk to anybody about their sin because you got planks. And so, no, the point is I am, holiness is so valuable to me because once that sin has been worked out in my life, I've been what? Restored. And now I'm valuable to work it out to help somebody along. Do you see that? So, for example, 15 years ago, 15, 16 years ago, maybe it was 17. I don't even know. But I had a problem looking at naked women on the Internet. Okay, But I've been healed from that. I don't have a problem with that anymore. It can be done. And so my point is, so now I can go up to somebody and go, dude, that's going to ruin your life, bro. But let me tell you something. Let me show you the steps. I know how to get you out of it. Because I've done it myself. You see that? Now, if I just sat there and I go, well, you know what? Though? I got my own problems. I'm not going to talk to that guy. Now, he's stuck. And he says, it's hopeless. Because you know what? There's an enemy telling him it's hopeless. You'll never get out of this. You're, you're not worth it. What you're doing is wrong. I don't know how you can ever work in church. Wait till they find out. And why he gets isolated. And I don't go get him because it's too hard. Because he's not valuable enough. You see that? So we have to. See, because here's the way it works. If we have a plank in our own eye, then we're stuck in our sin and we've lost our value. We become like, uh, our, or not our value, our um, ability to be able to do it. And so now this guy can't get out either. And we all just are the blind leading the blind, just moping around. So here's the process. The process is you go tell. Let me read this for you real quick. If a brother sins against you, and again, don't get out of the loophole by saying, well, this is just if he sins against me. I promise you I can make a case. This is any type of sin. 
I, I can make the case that if you're involved in a sin, if you're sleeping with your girlfriend, it is a sin against me. Because 1 Corinthians and Galatians chapter 5 say a little bit of leaven leavens, leavens a whole bunch. Ultimately, it's going to end up affecting me. It's going to end up affecting you. We're the body of Christ. We can't cut off our hand and say, well, that's, it's going to affect us. Okay? Then there's way more scriptures I don't have time to go into. If your brother goes and sins against you, here's the thing. You go and show. You go tell. Tell just means, if you want to get fancy in the Greek, it means to bring into the light. That's number one. It doesn't say text your friends and ask what you should say. It doesn't say get onto email. It doesn't say get on Facebook. It doesn't say any of that. It says all of a sudden, a light bulb goes on in your mind and you go, man, this guy's got a problem. Now, here's the thing. So you go, well, what if I'm not sure? Well, then don't go. (laughs) Just figure it out. Try and look and make note and go, man, is this guy really struggling with this? Then when you do, I'm going to, can I pick on you, Aaron? Okay. So Aaron, Aaron's got an anger issue, let's say. Okay. And so I'm noticing it, noticing it, noticing it. I go by myself and I go, hey, Aaron, dude, can I talk to you, bro? I think you might have an anger issue. And he goes, why? What? And we talk about it, whatever. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Well, in the intimacy of this place, we have to work it out. Right. And that's why it says go gently or you're going to be brought into sin. Because if I go in there and go, you got an anger problem. He goes, I do not. You're a jerk. And I go, well, you're a jerk. And now I'm in it too, right? Okay. So we go gently and I go, hey, Aaron, I, I noticed you, you know, this kind of thing. You know, what's going on? That is hard, guys. That is hard. Because typically we want to go, look, he's an adult. He makes his own decisions. What am I? What do, you know, I don't know. I'm not going to babysit him. Or blah, blah, blah. But really I'm saying he's not valuable enough for me to go take a risk like that. He's not worthy of being restored. His sin isn't that big of a deal. It's just anger. It's not like he's got a bunch of girlfriends. It's hard. You go. Don't wait for him to come. I'm going to wait till the Holy Spirit breaks him down and then I'll be there for him. You go and you bring it in the light and say, here's what I see. Give the guy an opportunity to go, you know what? My wife and I, my blah, blah, blah. I'm losing my job, whatever. Okay, come on, let's go. That's the first thing. You go tell. Not go tell it on the mountain. You go tell him. Go show him. Okay? Typically what we do is, man, we call up. Hey, I want to go talk to Aaron because I think he's got an anger problem. Forget that. If you're not, if you're not that sure and you've got to go ask a bunch of people if they see it too, then just leave the guy alone. Wait until you know. And then you won. Now, watch. So, you go tell. I go to him and I say, Aaron, you got an anger problem. And he goes, if you don't leave right now, I'm going to punch you in the mouth. Okay, he does have an anger problem. Okay, we've, we've said, and he doesn't care. Okay, all right. And I'm a lot smaller than he is. So if he punches me in the mouth, it's nighty night time. Okay, so I quickly scamper away uh, in fear. And I go and I bring some people back to hold him down. And it, no. See, that's the thing. This is the problem. It says, go and tell and get two or three others. Why? Because then we'll really get him. Then we'll really show him. It's all about restoration. Now watch. So I take my two buddies. I put, put them in front, right? And I go, you still want to talk about that anger problem, pal? Right? And, and, and what happens here? Now there's two witnesses. Now Aaron says to me, dude, I told you when you were here. It wasn't an anger problem. That was my friend on the phone. And, I, and the two witnesses look at me like, dude, did he say that? Well, yeah, but I thought he was lying. And I, 
It's for his protection. Right? Two or three witnesses to kind of get a better sense of what's going on. And maybe he says, yeah, I told you I had a, I told you I had a problem and we, we prayed about it and I'm going to work on it. And the two guys go, dude, what did you bring us in here for? He's working on it. Get out of here. Okay, see, it's all, it's a healthy, this is all healthy. So let's say I show up and all three of us, now he's got a baseball bat and now he's like, dude, all three of you better leave. So we leave because he's definitely got an anger problem. We figured that out and he isn't worried about repenting it. Okay, what do we do? We don't go back because now he's armed. Okay, and we tell the church, guess what happened? Guess what happened? We went over there and he had a baseball. No, no, it's restoration. And it's a healthy process. We go and we incorporate a lot of people. And someone goes, dude, did you know he's going through a divorce right now? No, he didn't mention that. Come on, guys. Again, another time to get this process healthy. Right? And so we say, or or not. So then all of a sudden, everybody knows and everyone's involved. Right? And now let's say he doesn't have an anger problem. And we all boot him out of the church. Does he want to go to that church anyway? Would you, like someone confronts you and then you go, no, dude, that's that's not what I said. And then three come, that is what you said. No, it really wasn't. Then they go tell the whole church and the whole church is going, yeah, you got the problem. You just slowly back away. I don't want to go to that church. It protects you from the church. Either way, you're gone. It's unhealthy. Or the church is healthy and you're not. And now you've been called out. And that's the last thing. Follow through. This is the hardest part of the whole thing to actually kick somebody out and you go dude really really i'm going to show you in a little bit why this is so valuable okay now listen again we go back we have to keep coming back what's the purpose it's because we're a holy bunch of people and they watch Desperate Housewives, and I've had enough. And I, I heard one guy say crap, and oh, I can't help it. And, oh, and he was the pastor, and it was during a sermon, and now he's in trouble. Okay, uh, <laughs> right? Is that it? No, it's restoration. It's restoration. So we've got to follow these things because the people are so valuable. We can't have them claiming to be a follower of Christ and fooling themselves into thinking they are when, in fact, they're not. They might not even be saved. And it's a wake-up call. The follow-through is the hardest. That's the kicking them out. Okay? And so you go, well, what does that look like? Well, what it looks like is, listen, we love you, but you're living a double life. And we cannot have, we, we can't share a gospel that says sin separates you from God and say, come to God, confess your sin, and allow you to be living in sin and us just turn our back from it. As a matter of fact, in uh, in Colossians and uh, Corinthians, I can't remember. I think it was second. I can't remember which Corinthians it was. First Corinthians. I can't remember. Uh, this is what was happening. There was a guy that was sleeping with his mother-in-law. Okay, thank you. It's First Corinthians. I appreciate that. Forrest. Forrest is like First Corinthians. Maybe I'm just like. I don't know what, but it was first Corinthians. Thank you. Yes. First Corinthians guy sleeping with his, with his, with his uh, father's wife. And, uh, it was kind of freaky. And, uh, and, and the church is just like, yeah, what are you going to do? You know what? Yeah. He's in my small group and it's guys, guys weird, man. I don't know. Yay. And Paul's going, what are you guys doing? You should be weeping over this because this guy's valuable and what he's doing is destructive. 
And so you go, yeah, you know what? I'm sorry, man. Until you get it cleaned up, I, I can't have you in a small group. I can't. Now, if he, at that point, he goes, okay, all right. I don't know. I, you know, <laughs> you bring him back in. Let me show you. 1 Corinthians 5, 9. I've written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Now, listen, you say, well, there goes the how do we reach the world? Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. <laughs> right. He's saying if, if you don't, it's like I work next to this guy who lives with two of his girlfriends and I guess I got to quit. No, you can hang out with that guy all day long. You know, to there's a, you know, n- not all day long, for most of the day, okay? Okay, so not that guy, not, not cubicle guy. Uh, we're talking about this guy. Now, I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, a slander, a drunkard, a swindler. With such men do not even eat. Now see, again, it's like, man, really? Like, how, what about God's love? What about, that's the point, is God's love. God's saying, listen, this is so serious. Your sin is so serious. This, the Free Methodist, we're a Free Methodist church, for those of you who don't know. Uh, and, and so, the things happened in the holiness movement that people don't want to be associated with the holiness movement because some things happen. You don't throw out the entire movement just because some things happen. A lot of great things happened in the holiness movement. One was people got really serious about their sin. And that's important. And so it's so important that we say, dude, I'm telling you, it's going to destroy your life. You can't be involved here if you're going to claim one thing and live another. Now, okay, so you got that. Um, And so that's the guy, not the guy who walks in and says, Hey, I, you know, I don't know what's going on. We could have a whole church filled with people like that. But it's the guy who says, oh, the Lord's changed my life. And there's just no evidence of that. Because here's the thing. If I go to Aaron and the Holy Spirit's really inside of him and I go, hey, dude, you got an anger problem. He knows that. The Holy Spirit's been working on him way before I got there. And so we're giving him an opportunity to submit himself to the Spirit of God, not to the church. All right, quickly. Um, if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him in your unmarked van with your binoculars. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah, he's got to feel it. We can't dance around it. We can't say, oh, you know what, though? He'll be okay. It doesn't affect me. It's all right. And slowly the guy is dying in his sin. And the church is moving on, and we're leaving him behind, and he's got an enemy that is going, you're not worth it. You're not, forget it. Let him go. They don't care about you anyway. No one's called you, blah, 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 all day long. Do not associate him in order that he may feel ashamed. Now watch. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Restoration is the goal, not judgment. <laughs>